Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, January 20th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, the mayor lays out details of the city's long-term plan to ban single-use plastics, and we discuss the revitalization talks surrounding the southwest community of Westbrook. The U.S. has hit its borrowing limit of $31.4 trillion. How will the federal government address the astronomical level of debt? We speak with Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. According to the Calgary Construction Association, a shortage of skilled labor is causing concerns for the local construction industry. We discuss the challenges from someone who is very familiar with the issue. Scott White, President and CEO of Calgary-based Western Electrical Management. From the plastics ban to the Westbrook local area plan, busy week at City Hall. Joining us to talk about all the things affecting Calgarians is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Madam Mayor. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Sue? Excellent. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to you. This was a big story. Obviously, you've been talking about it a lot because it came down from the feds. And then we've got now uh, more of a local level and a local look on it. So the single-use plastics ban. Uh, what are the details behind what the bylaw that was passed and the rules that will be going into effect uh, that council passed this week? So the bylaw that we discussed earlier this week doesn't actually go into effect until the beginning of next year. But what we are trying to do is offer a level playing field for retailers across the city. Right now, consumers are facing different prices when they go into stores. Some are not charging for single-use plastics. Others are charging, you know, anywhere from 10 cents to a dollar. It's hard to predict. So we passed a bylaw that would allow consistency so that Calgarians would know what you are going to pay for a single-use item should you need one. Now, the big thing was at the public hearing, there was only one presenter, and it was um, a representative of Calgary Co-op. They are incredibly concerned that they've created a compostable bag, which is amazing. I use it to line my little compost bin. Uh, but the federal government is not recognizing it as something that could still be used. They're classifying it as single-use plastic. So we made a decision to advocate on behalf of Calgary Co-op, uh, a local grocer that is not getting um, the attention they need at the federal scale. Mm. Mayor, that's an example of something specific to Calgary, uh, something that is uh, unique. Uh, but I'm wondering, uh, how unique is this plan as far as uh, stacking up to the other cities? Is this very Calgary-specific, or you take and, and choose some of the different uh, uh, processes that other cities have followed? Our administration actually did um, a really healthy review of what's happening across the country, and uh, we are aligning ourselves with other municipalities frankly, so that people who are traveling across Canada can have some consistency. And so I was very happy to see that they had done the research and they came forward with some competitive analysis, and that's how they came up with the pricing. Let's talk about uh, this initiative that's going on right now, and there is a lot of feedback from area residents, but what exactly is the Westbrook Local Area Plan? How does that break down? So there are a lot of established communities in Calgary that have really old area, area uh, redevelopment plans, or they really don't have much of a plan in terms of redevelopment. So what happens is when someone who owns a parcel of land in the community wishes to get a different land use on it, they can bring it forward as a single item. Uh, it is reviewed by Calgary Planning Commission and then Council, and there is an opportunity to change that land use. Some people call it a piecemeal approach, um, but it's kind of, you know, others call it spot zoning. There's no real consistency in what's going to happen for the entire community. So the local area planning process is an exercise by which uh, landowners together with city administration and most importantly, members of the community sit down and figure out 
where different land uses could be applied in their community. Where could they have a bit more retail to allow for a corner store or something more commercial, like maybe a neighborhood pub or restaurant? And where could they have areas in their community where you would go from single attached to something that could include single detached or a duplex or a row house? So it is a community engaged process by which you plan out the future of what that community looks like. Mayor, we got word, we got the announcement that Eau Claire Market will be no more making way for the underground station, I believe, for the LRT, the Green Line. Uh, But looking at Eau Claire big picture and looking back years ago, uh, Madam Mayor, and having grown up here, the promise that Eau Claire brought, the fact that it would have this vibrancy and be a very unique venue, it never really got to that point. In your opinion, what went wrong with Eau Claire Market? Oh, my goodness. I would have to, uh, you know, just rely on my own instincts and perspectives to to indicate what went wrong. I would say that there was a departure from really creating a community space to more focus on a retail space. And I say that having come from Winnipeg, where we had a little area called the Forks, which is wildly successful now because it incorporates the spaces and places that people would wish to gather um, there's an outdoor area that is licensed where you can go to one of the vendors and, you know, grab some food, grab a beer and sit with friends and just hang out. There's warming huts. It's right by the river. It's done well, but it did not do well the first time out of the gate either. So I think on this Eau Claire piece, what we missed is the opportunity to gather and really engage with other people who are enjoying that area. Princess Island Park is always packed, but mm-hmm. we missed that mark mm-hmm. at Eau Claire. Yeah, totally. Interesting what that's going to look like. It'll be uh, very, very interesting moving forward. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Calgary Transit because Andy and I were just talking about this this morning. Transit planning to hire 800 new jobs this year or for 800 new jobs. How is transit working towards getting service back to those pre-pandemic levels and getting riders to come back? Yeah, there's been um, a very big push to make sure that we've got enough people employed within Calgary Transit to serve the needs of Calgarians. So I'm happy to see that uh, we are really getting on that. Um, What we are linked to is this return to work idea as well. So as more employers are creating opportunities for their employees to be back in person, you will see an increase in use of transit. Uh, We have already seen a bump up in the figures of usage based on uh, people going back to post-secondary. And there's a lot of folks who have essential jobs where they just can't uh, not be there physically. So we've seen the trend go up. We are back up to ridership levels that are getting close to being reflective of pre-pandemic days. And we just continue to create an environment where there's frequency and safety that would allow people to use transit as their option. What sort of qualifications do I need to work for Calgary Transit, Madam Mayor? Or who would be a good, uh, a good worker, a, a good fit? I would say that if you go to calgary.ca and you look up the opportunity, it'll outline for you what types of positions we are seeking and what sort of qualifications you need. And Andy, if if you want to come and work with me, my friend, (laughs) go check it out. No, no, Madam Mayor, I salute these uh, these drivers, especially the bus drivers in winter. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so happy to work in radio. And you know what? They're just friendly all of the time Uh they just take everything that comes at them they greet you when you get on the bus or the train and you know they just they care about what they're doing and that's really a beautiful thing great opportunity for you know to fill 800 jobs that's pretty huge in the city let's talk uh before we let you go a new energy park coming to the southeast part of the city yeah this is um something that came to council on tuesday um it will be uh the largest carbon negative rng and ethanol project 
uh, renewable natural gas. That's what RNG stands for. It's part of um, the clean energy future that we're trying to build in our city. And here's the really interesting thing. Not only is it going to offer about 800 jobs over the two years of construction and 50 jobs while it's operating, but there's going to be a benefit of about $150 million per year to wheat producers in our rural areas. And that's because um, the folks that are not able to meet the grade A standards for wheat production generally have a loss on their crops. But this energy park processes wheat into renewable biofuels, which is a big win um, when it comes to urban and rural areas working together. This city is rocking and rolling, isn't it? We are. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take the rocking and rolling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we built this city on rock and roll. Oh, oh that, my that would be, goodness. That no. would be a good song title. Make that stop. Wow. Oh, please make it stop. We were discussing that song the other day. <laughs> Sue's not a fan, and I say you have to embrace it. But in the meantime, we digress. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time, Madam Mayor. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. And I just want to wish everyone a very happy Lunar New Year. Uh, there will be more activity in Chinatown this weekend on Sunday. So please come check it out if you can. For sure. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you so thank much. You. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. According to U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, the U.S. will take extraordinary measures to ensure the government will continue to pay its bills as they hit their $31.4 billion borrowing limit. Joining us to talk about that and all the news stateside is Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Hi, Jackson. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. U.S. hit its debt ceiling limit. What does that exactly mean for the U.S. government? <laughs> Yeah, so essentially the U.S. has $31 trillion, that's with a T, dollars in debt. Uh, there is a limit on how much the U.S. government can borrow to fund its obligations. This is a, a rule that Congress has had in place since 1917. And every once in a while, Democrats and Republicans get together and they agree to raise the borrowing limit in the interests of the country. Because let's face it, they're not bringing enough revenue in through taxation. They keep spending more and more and more. And it has never really been a problem to have that much debt for a healthy economy like the United States. This time around, though, the new Republican majority in the House is saying, no thanks, we are not going to increase the debt ceiling. Instead, they want massive cuts to programs like Medicare and Social Security. The White House and Democrats in the Senate are refusing to budge. And essentially what this means is that by June, the short-term measures that began yesterday will run out of room. There will be no more breathing room. And the U.S. will essentially run out of money to fund its obligations, which include paying the salaries of millions of government workers, including soldiers in the Army. It also includes servicing the trillions of dollars in debt held by foreign nations. One example, Japan owns more than a trillion dollars in U.S. debt. It's a lot of income for them, the interest payments on that. So really, this has the potential to cascade through the global economy if they can't reach a deal on borrowing more. It just seems to me, Jackson, whenever we talk about debt deficits in the U.S., it just kind of goes away. Do you think that the average American is is aware of this size of debt? And would they ever think that it could impact them personally? No, I think generally speaking, Americans don't have the same concerns about debt and deficit that Canadians do. I know it's a huge issue for governments in Canada. It has never really been that massive of an issue in the U.S. And, you know, we saw the U.S. debt increase massively, for example, under former President Donald Trump and before that under Barack Obama. It's just a thing presidents do to fund the obligations uh, of operating a country this size and of this scope. And again, U.S. debt has generally, uh, and I'm speaking in terms of bonds, has generally been seen as a great investment 
investment worldwide. Really stable, great place to get a return on your investment. So it has never been a problem for the U.S. to borrow. But if it becomes a problem, it's going to be everybody's problem. And, of course, we know, you know the global economy is teetering on the brink of a recession right now. This could easily push it over the edge. Uh, the last time we came close to a default on the U.S. debt in 2011, it sent the markets tumbling. The U.S. Uh, bond rating was downgraded. It can have serious implications. Jackson, let's change gears a little bit because this one is another big story that's been ongoing in the U.S. Well, with the former President Donald Trump and now with Joe Biden. But do we know any more about the classified documents found in Biden's possession? I I believe it is from when he was vice president, right? But he seemed to come out and say, that's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he essentially came out yesterday and said, there's no there there. I think the controversy now stems more to do with the fact that Biden and his advisors uh, became aware of these misplaced or mishandled documents just six days before the midterms back in November. And yet they sat on that information uh, basically for 68 days until Biden came out and addressed it. Their feeling was that they had notified the Department of Justice and they felt that by cooperating with the DOJ, it would not spiral into the sort of big deal that Donald Trump saw where Trump, of course, refused to cooperate, refused multiple attempts to get documents back that were in his possession. And so Biden's view is that, hey, they've cooperated, they've been up front with the DOJ, and maybe even if they weren't fully up front with the public, their attitude is that it's an apples-to-oranges situation. All right, let's move to the war in the Ukraine, and we know that Britain is sending Leopard 2 tanks to the region. Is the U.S. planning on sending any further aid to Ukraine? Where is that process up, and what is discussion as far as approach to Ukraine at this point? Yeah, another $2.5 billion in aid announced yesterday. That includes uh, deliveries from American weapons stockpiles in Israel, for example. They're looking at more and more of that long-range artillery and ammunition. Uh, And then there's the what-ifs. The U.S. is facing increasing pressure from the Ukrainians uh, to provide missiles or drones that could, you know, launch strikes up to 200 miles, 350 kilometers uh, in range, which would be a huge offensive at a time when Russia is gearing up for what's believed to be a a spring of offensive. Uh, There is also pressure over tanks themselves, and the U.S. is really putting the pressure on Germany to give some of its uh, leopard tanks. Germany is wary of that for two reasons. One is that they're saying, well, the U.S. is not giving any of its advanced tanks to Ukraine. But number two, Germany, of course, remains wary of having its weapons used in direct confrontation with Russia. Lots of history there, but bottom line is Germany doesn't want to be uh, essentially, in in their view, provoking Russia even further into taking direct military action against NATO. So the back and forth sort of continues. But as you mentioned, the UK now giving tanks. And I think there is generally a sense that nations are going to act on their own to support Ukraine, even if they aren't necessarily willing to act together and be entirely on the same page. Jackson, more from the accidental shooting on the set of the movie Rust. Actor Alec Baldwin now charged with involuntary manslaughter. I was kind of surprised to hear that. Should we be? Yeah, excuse me. I was surprised by that too. Um, You know, I think it comes down to his... uh, uh, role in producing the film and just being on the set and generally, uh, you know, the, the feeling that uh, um, there should have been a, a better sense of safety on the set, a better, uh, you know, uh, actions taken to make sure that there was no live ammunition on the set. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if prosecutors can actually prove their case in court. But certainly I think it's a, a, a step that people were genuinely surprised by. Now, weather is something you and I don't talk about much, and I know Sue always says, hey, ask Jackson for the forecast. Uh, but boy, some wild weather, and we're not talking confined to one area. Can you tell us which areas have been hardest hit and uh, the impact that it's having? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's been a wild winter everywhere. Uh, obviously, California is still reeling from uh, receiving about a season's and a half worth of rain in just a couple of weeks. That nonstop sort of conga line of uh, uh, atmospheric rivers has really taken its toll on the state. Of course, it's good news uh, given the drought situation there, uh, but it has taken a, a massive toll in terms of damage to infrastructure and homes and things like that. And then we've seen more wild weather outbreaks in the southeast as well. Uh, you know, really violent tornado season for January. We don't typically think of January tornadoes. So uh, lots to keep an eye on there. And of course, uh, winter is just getting started. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we thank you for joining us. Winter hopefully is not getting started here and hopefully ending soon. I've had enough of it. I don't know about you. <laughs> Have a great weekend, Jackson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. Jackson Prosco is, of course, the Global News Washington Bureau Chief. And I, I think it's important and it's good to hear when Jackson said that the U.S. is still very much involved with, with helping and doing what they can for Ukraine. And mm-hmm. I can understand holding back the highest tech that you have and uh but the dollars it what what really struck me early on in this war and this invasion of ukraine coming up to very close to one year i believe it's february 24th so we're basically a month away from being here is if we are not backing the ukraine in their fight then you know grab your boots because we're going to be involved in this fight so this is the way that we can make a difference and stop what is happening Mm -hmm. and what you know you look at it in 2023 these are the things that happened 70 years ago 60 years ago uh you know 60 years ago, yeah 70 years ago more or less um you know uh, as far as one country deciding that they want to expand their borders so we have to We're do what we taking over so if we can spend the bucks if we can send the tech and now is the time so it's good to see a billion dollar promise from canada to ukraine not yep. in cash but in equipment and gear and anti-missile and etc all the things that they need to fight this war so i'm glad other countries are supporting as well. You know what I just find interesting, and we can talk about this another time, but how do people keep just leaving this classified uh, information lying around? Do you leave your credit card information lying No, but lying here's, around? here's the thing, So We could have dug deeper into it with Jackson, or we can look at it. Obviously, somebody was on the hunt for something. You don't say, you know what, it's a slow Tuesday. Let's go look through... Uh, President Joe Biden's drawers, uh, his old desk when Pardon? he was VP in his, in, his, in his basement, you know, for example. Yeah. For, uh, and even if you did, why it. is there so much classified information just laying about, we forgot it, sorry. Yeah, and I mean, I'm what? sure that it has to be some half-decent information. I would think so. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a deal. It's bizarro. Speaking of jobs, the Calgary Construction Association estimates there are between 3,000 and 4,000 construction job vacancies in the Calgary region alone. Nationally, that number jumps to 93,000. Why are people not going into the trades in greater numbers anymore? And and how is that hampering construction projects locally and beyond? Joining us to talk about it is Scott White, President and CEO of Western Electrical Management. Hi, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, and, and thank you for having me on your show. Well, that is a lot of job vacancies we're talking about. Why do you think we're seeing the numbers going down in terms of those that are joining the trades? Uh, well, personally, I always feel there's a bit of a perception around the trades that you do better in university or college. You'd make a better li- living, have a better life. But uh, and, and the trades are always looked like, you know, if, if you can't get into university, it was kind of an option if your marks weren't good enough getting into the trades. So there's always been that little bit of a perception my opinion uh so it hasn't attracted to youth as much as we'd like it to scott i wish you could talk to my kids what are you doing tonight <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> but i have a plumber over and they spend 25 minutes and the bills uh, 295 dollars i think boy i'm doing things incorrectly here and that's the going rate i know i'm not getting soaked but to that point do you think that this problem could be remedied if if there was more of a maybe more of a collaboration between the trades 
and, and the schools to do some recruitment? Do we, do we start at this post-secondary institutions to, to try to attract more? I think we need to start in high schools, to be honest, and educate people on how low cost the education is to getting into a trade. I mean, it is, compared to post-secondary, is is so in a, a, inexpensive. And, uh, you know, and then in the trades, there's great pay, there's benefits, there's RRSPs. You know, you, you work for four or five years, you can be making six digits easily. So it, there's really great opportunities. I mean, there's a lot of work coming down the pipe. There's some major projects, hospital projects. There's, there's you know, they're talking of the event center, the green line. So I, I do think we should be encouraging our, our kids to get into the trades as another option. I mean, with, with the cost of university and now kids getting student loans, you look where interest rates are going. It's it's very expensive. And let's face it. I mean, we'll, we will always need people in the trades to fix the things that we need to live, right? So it, it never goes out of style for sure. What, in your opinion, also makes trade work attractive? I, I would think, you know, you can go into business for yourself too. That's a big deal. Absolutely. We know we know lots of guys who start to go into their own business. Uh, it can be stepping stones to other industries like engineering, sales, those kinds of jobs. Uh, you know, there's there's other opportunities for professional development. I know a lot of guys who, and, and people who went into f- become firefighters. And uh, so, yeah, there's, and you get to work with technology. So it, it's, it's very good uh, that way. Also, we talked about this years ago. I wonder if things have changed, the, the whole gender disparity. Are you seeing more and more girls uh, being, you know, attracted to it, uh, uh, you know? We we do have some. Oh, uh, uh, Sue, oh, sorry, Sue wanted me to say women. I women, say girls because yeah. I have girls and they're not eighteen yet. So I, I'm standing by that. And females, go ahead. Sorry. We are very fortunate to have some women work for us uh, in the trades uh, for our company. But I I wish we could get more. I th- I think that's a huge untapped resource, and especially in electrical. I, I mean, I'm not sure why women don't really get into it. Maybe because it's so male dominated. Maybe they're concerned about physical requirements. I don't know, but uh, it's it's electrical and structured cabling is what we do, and women are more than capable to do all the tasks in, in our in our trade. And uh, it would be great to have more women, but they seem reluctant uh, and to get into it. So uh, we do try to encourage women to get into the trade, but it's it's there's a there's a huge opportunity for them. So, but uh, we haven't had much luck. So, so Scott, you know, if, if someone's listening, maybe they've got a, like Andy's got young girls, they're thinking about what they're going to do post high school and, you know, whoever it might be that's hearing our voices, how do you find out about these jobs and, and requirements and the, and the great positive things about them? Where do you go for that information? Where would you suggest? Uh, well, there's, there's a couple of places you can go. I mean, some of the schools have some information. SAIT has information. They have a, a uh, pre-apprenticeship uh, course you can do. I mean, you can always call electrical contractor, plumbing contractors, uh, any of the con- any uh, general contractors. They can give you some information on where to go. We we've hired people uh, right off the street, uh, and uh, and if they're interested in the trade, and we we tell them what's required, and we'll put them through through an apprenticeship program. So I mean, there's a lot of avenues to go down, uh, but uh, I mean usually start with a school or, or post-secondary like SAIT or NATE. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate you shedding light on it.
Well, well, thank you so much, and, and it's great having you guys on uh, FM now. It's uh, much better. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. That's awesome. Okay, have a great day. You too. That, that is bye. Scott White, president and CEO of Western Electrical Management, westernelectrical.com.